I'm Josh Hammer, and this is America on Trial. It's another busy day out there, so let's dive right in and let's go around the horn. We are expecting a decision out in Illinois today, Illinois of all states, when it comes to the 14th Amendment Section 3 ballot access challenge to Donald Trump. This is really just expediting and immunitizing the time frame with which the United States Supreme Court is going to have to issue a ruling in the Trump versus Anderson case, the oral argument that it heard a few weeks ago earlier this month, the appeal out of Colorado pertaining to that very question, the question as to whether Donald Trump is disqualified from the ballot under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment on so-called insurrection grounds. Many are estimating that the Supreme Court might go ahead and issue that written opinion any day now, literally sometime this week. Friday is the date that I am seeing speculated online, and that would make a lot of sense, as I've said repeatedly on this show, because we are now coming up on Super Tuesday, where you have a lot of states voting. The court is going to want to get this opinion out there sooner rather than later to try to preclude any additional legal chicanery and lawfare trying to deprive Donald Trump of his rightful place on the ballot. I fully anticipate that opinion to come down here in the next few days. It's only a matter of time. As a a reminder, we also are still waiting for the Supreme Court to issue its procedural, not substantive, but procedural ruling on the question of the stay of the denial of presidential immunity in the D.C. Circuit and Jack Smith's federal prosecution there in D.C. That should happen sooner rather than later, I would expect as well, that that whole litigation, that whole process has a long ways to go. The stay is just the next fork in the road, so to speak, but I do anticipate that will come sooner rather than later. And if I were a betting man, I I would certainly bet that there is going to be a, a stay issued there. Switching gears for, for a moment here, today is an explosive day on on Capitol Hill. Hunter Biden has just arrived this morning. He is testifying privately before the House Oversight and House Judiciary Committees. This is after months and months of negotiation between lawmakers, Republicans in particular, on the Oversight and Judiciary Committees and Hunter Biden's legal team over whether he would make a public appearance. Hunter apparently preferred to actually testify publicly, but Jim Jordan and James Comer wanted this to be behind closed doors, and so it is actually going to be behind closed doors. So this is a big deal. This is one of the first times where Republicans, James Comer, who led this impeachment inquiry into Joe Biden last summer, this is going to be one of the first times where Republicans are going to see Hunter Biden before them face-to-face, and they can get to ask him all about the big guy's involvement, or lack thereof, in Hunter Biden's various shady overseas business dealings. So this has all the potential in the world for really explosive stuff. You know, recall that this is all happening in the broader context of the FBI recently issuing an indictment, an indictment for a man by the name of Alexander Smirnov, he was considered to be one of Congressman Comer and House Republicans' key witnesses last summer when there was this FBI form, this redacted form, that was relying on an FBI confidential informant to the effect that Burisma was paying off $5 million in cool, hard cash to both Hunter and Joe Biden. If you remember that story from last summer, well, it turns out that the guy Smirnov 
who Comer, Chuck Grassley, and others were citing, he's now being indicted by the feds. And, you know, maybe he's innocent, maybe he's guilty, who knows. But that's all happening here in the background. That indictment just dropped over the past week and a half or so. And I certainly expect that to come up in this private closed-door hearing today. So absolutely explosive stuff happening behind closed doors on Capitol Hill today. I'm expecting the word barisma to be brought up a lot here. What did the big guy know? When did the big guy know it? That's the kind of stuff that James Comer and Jim Jordan are really going to have to get to the heart of today in this closed-door testimony. We look forward to hearing all about it and reporting back to you and analyzing it for you on tomorrow's episode of America on Trial. There was... A hearing yesterday down in Fulton County, Georgia, it was Terrence Bradley who took the stand there. Terrence Bradley has been much hyped by many online there. Many thought that he would be a, a, a key witness for Trump and his co-defendants here in the Fulton County, Georgia case when it comes to the possible disqualification of Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis and her illicit lover, the special prosecutor Nathan Wade. Uh, if, if you recall the details here, Terrence Bradley is a lawyer who formerly represented Nathan Wade in his divorce proceedings. He has known these two for a while now, but for a couple of hours on the witness stand, he repeatedly said that he actually did not know any specifics about the timeline of Fonnie's relationship with Nathan Wade, including whether they were dating when she went ahead and hired Nathan Wade, hired him, by the way, to the effect of $650,000 of cool, hard Georgia taxpayer dollar cash. So Terrence Bradley ended up being, as of now, somewhat of a disappointment. Recall the, the timeline here. Fonnie Willis hires Nathan Wade shortly after she commences this investigation into Donald Trump in November of 2021. They have denied any wrongdoing, but in the previous testimony there in Fulton County in Judge Scott McAfee's courtroom earlier this month, we heard from a former co-worker of Fonnie Willis's in the Fulton County DA's office and a former self-described good friend of Fonnie's that they actually were shacking up and having their affair prior to Fonnie going ahead and hiring Nathan. Terrence Bradley, unfortunately for Trump and his co-defendants, did not prove to be a reliable corroborating witness to that effect. In yesterday's testimony, he just repeatedly said that he could not recall. He could not recall. That was basically the gist of it. So we will see what happens there. There is going to be another hearing there in Fulton County in the courtroom of Judge Scott McAfee this Friday pertaining to those motions to disqualify Fonnie Willis. We will go ahead and report back to you after that happens. I know I very much look forward to it. I'm hoping for some more explosive fireworks on that case. My own quick analysis on this case is that I think it's ridiculous that we're in this he said, she said situation. Oh, did Fonnie Willis's co-worker say that they actually started shacking up in 2019? Oh, Terrence Bradley says he's speculating. You can't remember the details. Fonnie and Nathan are saying it wasn't until 2022. I mean, this whole thing is like a Hollywood script. It's absolutely outrageous. The very fact that we are in this situation in the first place, to me, is indicative of the fact that this case has to be dismissed or thrown out of Fulton County. Fonnie Willis absolutely has to be disqualified from this case, I think. Again, I'm not saying that we have definitive smoking gun evidence that they were shacking up, although clearly, as we discussed on the show earlier this week, this geolocator investigator that the Trump legal team hired as a, a special 
outside source, this guy who put together the cell phone tracking data showed that they had thousands, tens of thousands of phone calls and text messages in 2021, in the year leading up to, in the year leading up to Fonnie hiring Nathan, it's pretty close to smoking gun evidence at that. But even if you don't consider that smoking gun evidence, which I probably would, but even if you don't consider that smoking gun evidence, you're dealing here with the prosecution of a former president of the United States. A former president of the United States on RICO charges. The whole thing is just facially insane. And the fact that you have this this stench, this utter rancid, fetid stench of corruption, absolutely 100% ought to be probative, if not outright dispositive, that Fani and Nathan have to go. This case has to be at a bare minimum moved out of Fulton County, and it has to go elsewhere there in Georgia. Other news earlier this week that... We have not yet covered on America on trial. Alvin Bragg, the hapless district attorney, the Soros-funded prosecutor in New York County, New York, in Manhattan, who is pursuing the the fraudulent bookkeeping slash something slash we think election law violation prosecution against Donald Trump. This is the so-called hush money case against Stormy Daniels uh, or involving Stormy Daniels and Michael Cohen. This is a 30-page court filing that Alvin Bragg made public on Monday where he's going ahead to request a gag order. He's requesting a gag order against Donald Trump in this 30-page court filing. Alvin Bragg cites Trump's, quote, long history of making public and inflammatory remarks about the participants in various judicial proceedings against him. Those remarks, as well as the inevitable reactions they incite from defendants' followers and allies, pose a significant and imminent threat to the orderly administration of this criminal proceeding and a substantial likelihood of causing material prejudice. That's just a snippet from Alvin Bragg's filing in court on Monday where he is formally requesting a gag order against Donald Trump in the hush money payment case, the state law prosecution there in in New York State, in the Empire State. This would be the third possible gag order that Trump would be subject to. I'm not a huge fan of gag orders in in general. They do naturally tend to be violative of free speech and First Amendment in the abstract. There sometimes they definitely are necessary, and and I'm not going to take an absolutist stance against gag orders here, there, and everywhere, but you always should be wary. You always should be on guard about the idea that a gag order is being suggested, is being urged, is being exhorted by a party to a court, not necessarily because it is a true exigency, not because it is truly strictly necessary, but because one party just wants to shut the other guy up, right? I mean, that's usually what ha- what's happening in a, in a gag order. That is why I am intuitively skeptical, and I, I have absolutely no reason whatsoever for thinking that anything other than precisely that is what is going on here in the case of Alvin Bragg and Donald Trump. So we'll see what happens there. This is in the courtroom of Judge Juan Merchant. He is the presiding New York judge there in this case. I guess we'll go ahead and see what he says. As the nation gears up for another election season, tune to the first TV for the best coverage on television. Get an exclusive inside look at the American political machine with Sean Spicer at 7. Unmatched analysis and historical perspective from Bill O'Reilly at 8. Then a bold, unapologetic take from Jesse Kelly at 9. It's must-see TV in primetime every night on the first TV. Watch the first on DirecTV Channel 347, Uverse Channel 1220, or DirecTV Stream. So for today's deep dive, I want to 
take a look at something that Jack Smith, the federal special counsel who was pursuing charges against Trump in both Florida and Washington, D.C., I want to go ahead and look at something that he filed in court on Monday as well. So we were just talking about what Alvin Bragg filed in his own prosecution in New York City on Monday. Let's talk at least a little bit about something that Jack Smith put into a 12-page court filing here in the state of Florida on Monday in the in the courtroom of Judge Aileen Cannon, who was presiding over Trump's prosecution when it comes to the classified documents that he retained at Mar-a-Lago, retained, so says the prosecution, illicitly. So this this prosecution, like all the prosecutions against Donald Trump, has a lot of problems. The leading and most obvious problem here, as I believe we've discussed on this show, and we're going to start talking about a lot more, certainly, as we get closer and closer to this trial date, where this trial is set to start still in late May, May 20th, I, I believe, is the date here. The leading and most obvious problem is that they're charging, they are charging Trump under the Espionage Act. The Espionage Act, which is a dusty World War I-era statute that immediately, uh, like within milliseconds, essentially, of this statute being signed into law around the time of World War I and the Woodrow Wilson presidency, was of dubious constitutionality. And in particular, many civil libertarians, many classical liberals, many old-school ACLU-style liberals, your Alan Dershowitz, Jonathan Turley types— almost universally are of the opinion that the Espionage Act is either facially unconstitutional or is at a bare minimum unconstitutional as is as it is applied in most circumstances. Now, I personally am actually not a free speech absolutist per se. Perhaps we will save that particular conversation for a, another episode of America on trial. So I, I'm less confident of the constitutionality or lack thereof of the Espionage Act, to be fully candid with you. But I say all that just to say that this statute is not one that that prosecutors across America, federal prosecutors, typically go and invoke because it is something of a political boogeyman. And ever since, literally over 100 years ago, this thing first came down, it has been deeply controversial. But more specifically, in this 12-page filing that Jack Smith filed in Judge Aileen Cannon's federal courtroom in Florida on Monday— He is pushing back at the claims that Joe Biden, because of his own handling of classified documents and his own report from special counsel Robert Hurd that we've previously covered on this show, Jack Smith is trying to push back on the allegation, on the insinuation that Joe Biden and Donald Trump are equally culpable, are equally guilty, and that therefore this is a politicized prosecution against Donald Trump. So here is just a, a snippet, just so you hear the other side of the argument. Here is a snippet from what Jack Smith's assistant special counsel, a man by the name of David Harbach, here is what he wrote in relevant portion in his filing there in Judge Cannon's courtroom in Florida on Monday. David Harbach writes, quote, The defendants have not identified anyone who has engaged in a remotely similar suite of willful and deceitful criminal conduct and not been prosecuted, nor could they. Trump, unlike Biden, is alleged to have engaged in extensive and repeated efforts to obstruct justice and thwart the return of documents bearing classification markings. And the evidence concerning the two men's intent, whether they knowingly possessed and willfully retained such documents, is also starkly different. Okay, so let's go ahead and unpack this a little bit. 
First of all, here is the concession that I will make to Jack Smith and David Harbach and the prosecution in general. The indictment, when that indictment came down last June, I believe it was last June, the number one thing that did stand out to me is that they allege, again, this, these, are just, these are just allegations. They are, these are just allegations. Donald Trump has every right to deny, to defend if he did not do these activities. But the number one thing that did stand out to me, and I think a lot of other lawyers, is that Trump was actually alleged to have straight up ignored a grand jury subpoena for the return of classified documents at Mar-a-Lago. Now, you're not allowed, no matter what you may think, we're, we're about to get into that, you, no matter what you might think about the substantive debate pertaining to classified documents and what you can declassify and how you can declassify it and the procedures and all that, no matter what you think about that, you, you can't just straight up ignore a grand jury subpoena. I mean, this is, this is law 101, okay? This is the kind of stuff that, I mean, you don't even have to be a first-year law student. This is kind of just common sense, right, that you can't actually straight up flip your middle finger at a grand jury subpoena if they go ahead and request that. So I, I, I will grant that. I will definitely concede that to Jack Smith and David Harbach and his team. I want to just for a brief second here focus on the last sentence from this filing from David Harbach, the assistant special counsel to Jack Smith that I just read. Let me read that again. This is the sentence, quote, the evidence concerning the two men's intent, whether they knowingly possessed and willfully retained such documents is also starkly different. Well, why did I want to read that again? Because we're talking here about intention, what lawyers refer to as mens rea, the Latin term meaning the mentality or the state of mind that a purported or putative criminal has at the time of his action. Is it negligence? Is it willfulness, intentionality, and so forth there? They're basically saying that Trump was willful in retained documents. Joe Biden, in the whole thing involving Robert Hurst's report and his documents at the Chinese Communist Party slush fund Penn Biden Center for Global Diplomacy or whatever, as well as the documents in his garage in Wilmington, Delaware. They, they're, they're basically saying that Trump had the relevant mens rea of willfulness and intentionality, whereas Biden did not. Well, no crap Biden did not, according to Robert Hurst's own report, because Joe Biden is freaking senile and out to lunch. That was the whole point of the Robert Hur report. So it's not exactly a, a ringing defense, is it, Jack Smith and David Harbach? It's not exactly a ringing defense that the guy who's on your side, the current president of the United States, is so utterly senile, is so clearly losing his marbles that he can't actually do anything willfully or intentionally because he doesn't literally know what he is doing. That's really not much of a defense, is it? And yet they somehow twist it and try to turn it into the, some of this grand defense. More generally speaking here, there, there is a very, very crucial and key distinction, and it's one that many of us picked up on all along immediately, between Donald Trump and Joe Biden's individual classified document retention scandals. It's fair to call them both scandals. They are. The key difference is that the documents that Donald Trump took back to Mar-a-Lago after he was president of the United States were just that. They were after he was president of the United States. The president of the United States is the only person vested with the quote-unquote executive power. That's Article 2, Section 1, Clause 1, that vests the sole and exclusive executive power in one person, the president of the United States. He is the only person who has the commander-in-chief constitutional prerogative. 
he has in, he has inherent constitutional authority to classify and declassify any documents he wants, period, full stop, end of story. Furthermore, the relevant federal legislation that governs these sort of things in modern times is probably not even the Espionage Act, this dusty, civil libertarian-hated statute from over 100 years ago. It's a more recent statute, the Presidential Records Act of 1978, which deals with the preservation of all presidential records. That's the relevant law. It's not even a criminal statute, by the way. It's a civil statute. So you can't prosecute someone on it by definition if it's not a criminal statute. This was something that leapt to mind immediately after that pre-dawn raid at Mar-a-Lago in August 2022. Many of us had this thought immediately, like, oh my God, I mean, this is, this, the Presidential Records Act is not even a criminal statute, for God's sake. Joe Biden, by contrast, at the time of his own classified documents retention scandal, was not president of the United States. He took these documents when he was a senator from Delaware and then vice president to Barack Obama. In neither instance, as senator or vice president, in neither instance, one, does the Presidential Records Act statutorily apply, or two, do you have any inherent constitutional authority whatsoever under the executive power or commander-in-chief power to make these sort of decisions? So legally speaking, you know what, Jack Smith, you're actually right. One of these two, believe it or not, is on much stronger grounds. It's actually just the exact opposite of what you're saying. Jack Smith and his toady, David Harbach, actually have it completely inverted when it comes to Joe Biden, Donald Trump, and classified documents retention.